Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. They were justified by faith, just as we always have been. But Christ had not yet died. Then how could God save them? The answer is that he saved them on the basis of what he knew Christ would accomplish. They knew little or nothing of what Christ would do at Calvary, but God knew. And he reckoned their value of work to their account. In other words, they did what God asked them to do with the knowledge they had. There are definitely some things that the Bible doesn't explain, like did Adam and Eve have navels? And if so, why? (laughs) Okay, maybe that's not the most important thing to try to figure out. But there are things that you might want to know so you can fill in the gaps in your knowledge. One of those is the salvation of the Old Testament believers, people who died before Jesus came to earth. Pastor Mark will be showing you in the scriptures the plan that God had for those who came before the Messiah. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now here's Pastor Mark in Leviticus chapter 17 as he begins his message, The Power of the Blood. to the book of Leviticus, and then we'll go right to Hebrews, Leviticus chapter 17. Old Testament, right at the front of the Bible, right near the front. Leviticus 17. Now remember, the author of Hebrews, probably Paul, has been writing to a small home group in Italy. They're Jews who have become followers of Christ and are undergoing persecution, not only from the government, but probably from their families, their former friends in the Jewish church. And the whole purpose of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better than the old covenant, the old ways, and we'll see a huge part of that. In Leviticus 17, verse 11, if you go down to that verse, we see something very foundational. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. From time to time in your annual physical, you'll go in and you pray that you don't have a rookie drawing your blood. You have somebody that's been there before. And as they draw it, 
Then he gets centrifuged down, tested. In the medical field, and you and I, we look at our veins and we talk about blood and we go, yeah, very important. It's terrific. And I'll tell you a little why it's important. But then to translate that to a spiritual application for much of the world is very weird. In fact, in many churches, you would never hear this teaching. Ever. Because it's not proper. But it's foundational. Now, when you think about blood, blood is alive because it contains living cells. It's a fluid of transport. Takes oxygen from the lungs to the body tissues. Removes carbon dioxide. And takes all kinds of nutrients that we put into our bodies. Actually, during the holidays, it works overtime. Because of the nutrients. You know what I said. It helped with digestion and the hormones and the glands. It's a fluid of health. It fights with the platelets, diseases. It brings to a wound something that will help seal that wound over. Amazingly, instantly, how that affects our bodies. Of course, then the blood flows through our kidneys, waste, all those kind of things. If you're cut bad, very bad, all the clotting mechanisms head in. Very complicated procedure. You and I, as a healthy adult, have about, well, five liters. And how is that pumped? I'm not plugged into an electric place somewhere, but that blood is pumped because of our heart through about 60,000 miles of blood vessels every single day, all through there. Well, without blood, as you're well aware, the human body would stop working. It'd be over. We'd be dead. So there's life in the blood. But see, I'm more than physical. You're more than physical. We're spiritual beings created in the nature of God. Now notice in that verse, God says, I've given it to you to make atonement. Here's the first thing you want to write down, atonement. At one mint, the state of being at one or reconciled, put together, brought together. So in the original language, Really what that means is the blood ransoms at the price of life. So long before scientists ever discovered the facts about blood, the Bible taught our physical life depends on the blood. Before anybody ever knew any of that, God told us that. But it's not just our physical. In your own little notes, just add this, our spiritual life. Depends on the blood. Now that's where it gets weird. If you're here and never been to church before, you might like, what is this? I come into church, I go to a place I've never heard a book before called Leviticus, and you're talking about blood in church? Yes. And you're going to see why our physical life depends on it, and our spiritual life does it well. Now, Hebrews 9, 14, in the New Living, by the way, now you can turn to the book of Hebrews. 
chapter 9, verse 15. We'll start there in a moment. Notice, just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. You remember we learned that the blood of Christ cleanses our conscience. Good works can't do that. Being good can't do that. And our conscience is that alarm system in our life. And if it's fed the word of God, it's healthy. If it's not, and it becomes hardened, it can be useless to us because the alarm simply doesn't go off. So remember, a guilty conscience is a God thing because God wants us to deal with the sin. So it's not a bad thing. It's actually a blessing from God. We don't look at it that way, but it really is a blessing from God because God's trying to keep us at atonement in one with him, this unity that we've talked about. Now, When we ask for forgiveness, this verse says we're forgiven and our sins are remembered no more. That never took place. You'll see that could never take place in the Old Testament. Now, look at verse 15. For this reason, verse 14, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. That those who are called may receive the promise eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed Under the first covenant. So we have a mediator, a go-between. God is holy, man is sinful. We always need a go-between. But we don't have man any longer. We have God. Now, that's a beautiful thing because as a Christ follower, notice in this verse, we receive the promise eternal inheritance. We're talking about The end of the world. Well, in this passage, in Hebrews 9, we have this huge principle. When I die, that's not the end of life. When I die, that's not the end of life. Some of you probably watched the news this weekend, maybe even this morning, where the father of one of the young girls that was killed in Denver spoke about how he handles, and I was... Amazing. My wife and I thought, how does a father on national TV handle this when his daughter has just been murdered? But he handled it because you heard what he said. We know our daughter's in a better place. You see, there's an eternal perspective here. So all Christ followers have an eternal future inheritance. You want to write it down. So I can live today with what? Hope. That's exactly what this father had. He had hope. Because he knew that he would see his daughter again. He knew that would take place. Now, as you see that happening in your life, in my life, I have hope because the salvation that I have is not just for this world, but it brings me an eternal, significant salvation. That which you see right in the verse, in inheritance. I am a son of God. Forever, you, if you're a lady or a daughter of God. Now, when we think about the Old Testament and we think about the New, notice, free from sins committed under the first covenant. 
Let me read to you from McDonald. What about the people in the Old Testament? Quite often people ask, how did that work? Christ wasn't here. Well, if the sacrifices didn't cover their sins, then when did they actually receive salvation? McDonald says this, here is the sense in which God saved Old Testament people on credit. They were justified by faith, just as we always have been, but Christ had not yet died. Then how could God save them? The answer is that he saved them on the basis of what he knew Christ would accomplish. They knew little or nothing of what Christ would do at Calvary, but God knew, and he reckoned their value of work to their account. In other words, they did what God asked them to do with the knowledge they had. Always in the Old Testament, there was this hope, this promise. They knew that there was someone coming that would provide for that pure forgiveness that they could never experience. So in the Old Testament, they looked forward to this cross that's behind this world. They looked forward to this. And you remember when Jesus died during that three days between when he died and when he was resurrected, we believe that he went down to Hades and he talked there to those Old Testament saints that were waiting and he proved to him that he was the one, he was the Messiah, he would have had the wounds on his hand. And then he took them, he took captivity captive, he took them up to heaven with him. And that was a beautiful picture. Why did they go? By the way, there was another compartment there. It's still there. We'll learn about that when we get to the judgments. Well, those people never believed in God. They didn't believe in the sacrifices. They didn't believe that there was someone coming. See, everyone is saved by faith. So the Old Testament people were saved by looking to the cross. It was coming. When we get to chapter 11... You will discover here that all these wonderful people, Abraham, Moses, all these people, they knew it was coming. They never saw the promise. They never got to see it. Well, we're very different. There wasn't anybody in this room here that was at the cross. We never saw Jesus on the cross, ever. All we do is we have a history of it. Now, how am I saved then? I'm saved the same as the Old Testament people. I'm saved in believing that it happened. There's enough proof in here, as there was enough proof that the Messiah was coming. 300 prophecies about him coming in the Old Testament. So everyone is saved by believing. We're not saved by works. So the Old Testament people looked forward. It's kind of retroactive power of Christ in the Old Testament. To us, it's proactive. We look back to the cross. Well, look at verse 16. In the case of a will, it's necessary to prove the death Of the one who made it. Because a will is in force only when someone has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. Now if you're wise and you're in this room and you're older, you have a will. You have one for the hospital called the living will. And you probably have some kind of a will for your family. And notice what it says here. The covenants with God made with mankind were very similar to a will. In other words, there was a promise coming. I thought it was interesting. Today I was reading it. Maybe some of you did. In England, a few years ago, a man was canoeing. And he disappeared. And he was gone. And a year later, they came and the insurance company pronounced him dead. The wife got this huge settlement. And 
just this year, he walked into a police station and said, I have amnesia. Who am I? And they began searching. But as they began searching, they had a picture of he and his wife living in Panama. They're from England. He didn't have amnesia. It was a scam. Tonight, they're both in jail. How interesting. By the way, their kids will have nothing to do with them now. So she's got the money, probably already spent, but it really isn't good because he never really died. Now, some of you have parents, and hopefully you're not praying for them to die so you can get their money. Parents, spend it. Enjoy it. I'm just joking. Well, maybe not. You know why? I've seen more young couples ruined by inheritance than anything else. Because they depended on that instead of God and their own resource. But spiritually, what are we talking about here? In the case of a will, it's necessary to prove the death the one made it. The will is enforced only when somebody has proven that they've died. Well, what are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about Jesus Christ. You see, it would be no good. All the things that he promises us, forgiveness of sins, would be no good unless we could what? Know that he actually died. So, look at verse 18. This is why even the first covenant was not put in effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. So what was it that activated? What was it that put the promise of the will into effect? The blood is what activated the old covenant, and the blood is what activated the new covenant. Now, keep your finger right there and flip back to Exodus 24. A little bit of history. Good for you to go back and see how this works. There is a caveat with this. It isn't just the blood. If it was just some blood, you could get an animal and you could, like they believed in the old days, many people believed in the old days, if you took a person and you just bled them a little bit, you got rid of diseases. Well, it was foolish. It certainly wasn't true. So it isn't a matter, I couldn't take an animal and just and just cut it and, and pour a little bit of blood into a basin. No, it wasn't that. It's the taking of the animal's life because just bloodletting wouldn't activate the covenant. It wouldn't activate the will. So like a will, what's the proof of a will today? Well, it's a death certificate. In the individual who got her inheritance in England, a coroner, he had to what? Document that the man was dead. Of course, there was no body ever found. As he did that, he validated it. But it wasn't really true. Now, understand, under the law, the animal simply had to die. And when he died, that was proved by what? All the blood being what? Drained. That was the proof. The will could go into effect. Look at Exodus 24. Go down to verse 4. You see, Moses had said to the people, here's the law. The people said, we'll keep it, even though they 
couldn't keep it. They didn't have the power. And to ratify this covenant between God and Israel, notice what Moses does in verse 4. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood, put it in bulls, and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. So he gave all the laws, and the people responded, We'll do everything that the Lord has said. We will obey. Of course, you know, talk is something. Doing it's quite something different. Verse 8. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So, half the blood went on the altar. That was God's part. Half of it went on the people. That was the signifying part of the agreement of the people. It's a covenant. The two together tied with blood. So the old covenant went into effect by animals being the substitute. That blood was applied physically. Now, when we move to the new covenant, it wasn't physical any longer. It was spiritual. Remember the new covenant, Jeremiah said we would have a new heart. It would be inside us. It would be a a heart of where it is, not on tablets of stone. Now, back to Hebrews 9.22. In fact, this is very interesting to show you how incredible God is. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, what does it mean, nearly everything? Well, God is such a gracious God. And there were some exceptions. We don't have to worry about in the New Testament. It's taken care of. But in the Old Testament, some people were just too poor. Look at God. And he knew. This is amazing to me. You know what we hear today is this. If you're going to be a Christ follower, you're going to be prosperous. You're going to have everything you're ever going to need. We never saw any of this in the Old Testament. We had people that were prosperous and the people that were poor. In fact, Jesus says in the New Testament, the poor you'll always have with you. So notice, what if I'm in the Old Testament and I can't bring an animal for my sins? I don't have the money. What do I do? Well, notice Leviticus 5.11. God says, if you cannot afford to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. So we're not talking about a goat or a sheep. We're talking about even the smallest, the least expensive animals. You may bring two quarts of choice flour for your sin offering. Compared to modern society, the ways of the people at the time when Israel went into and conquered Canaan seem backwards, even barbaric. Having that attitude, though, causes you to miss many points God was trying to make. In today's message with Pastor Mark, you found out why the blood was important to every creature and the significance of dead sacrifices. Lessons for Living is the teaching ministry of Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. We have multiple campuses to reach those living in Melbourne, Sebastian, and Vieira. 
All campuses meet each weekend and on Wednesdays to spend time collectively raising our voices in worship to our Most High God and studying the truth and blessings found in His Word. For more information, directions, and service times, visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and click on the church link at the bottom of the page. Next time, Pastor Mark's going to continue this message called The Power of the Blood. You'll learn more about why the sacrifice had to be dead. You'll see how this concept ties into the importance of Jesus actually dying instead of some of the heretical teachings that say he didn't die. You'll find out more about the Old Testament sacrifices and how they relate to the death of Jesus. We've run out of time today, but we do encourage you to tune in next time as Pastor Mark will continue teaching through the book of Hebrews. That's next time on Lessons for Living. in a hurry.